we are going to be um, introducing a new series. Simon is going to be uh, coming up and doing that for us. Um, so let's uh, bring Simon up, and I'll let, let me pray for him, and then we will uh, get into the message for today. So Lord, thank you that we can be able to uh, just come now and uh, hear your word. Thank you for Simon. Thank you for speaking uh, through him. And I pray, Lord, that we have, will have ears to hear, that we will have hearts to respond, that we'll have the courage to step out in obedience. Blessing upon this word today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Bill. Morning, everyone. Good to see you all here today. How are you doing? So-so, yeah, good. I was saying to the first service, it's, oh, it seems to have cleared up a little bit. It was very gray when I woke up this morning. But we're all here together, so it's good. Well, why don't you uh, open with your Bibles to me to 1 John chapter 2, whether you have uh, one of these vintage paper Bibles or it's on your phone, uh, then go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2, and we'll read from there in a few minutes. When uh, I was younger, I grew up in England, as, as many of you may know, and when I was younger, then we got snow occasionally, not as much as here. Canada is known for its snow. But we'd get snow occasionally, and uh, what I would do is sometimes I would go outside, and there would be, um, I'd be playing in the snow, and there were footprints from someone else that had walked before the way that I was, was walking. And what I'd try to do is match up my foots in, into their footprints and, and follow the, the way that they walked. Has anyone done that before? Okay, yeah, you're Canadians, you, you know, you've done this, you know the drill. It's funny, I say, I say like, when I was a kid I used to do this. I'm pretty sure I've done it a lot more recently than, than that. So uh, I am a child at heart. But this is one of those images that comes to mind as I think about our walk with Jesus as I think about what it means to follow Jesus. It's as though through his life, he laid out these footprints of how he lived and what he did, what he said, what he believed, and he calls us to try and match up our steps into his, his footprints, to walk in his ways, to live by his example, to follow his example. And it's this idea that's at the heart of this new series that we're starting today called The Way of Jesus. If we truly say that we follow Jesus, do our actions match, align with what we say? Does how we live match how Jesus lived? Because Jesus' followers will look like him. We see that in the, in the passage we're going to be reading today. They won't look like him perfectly, but they will to some degree and increasingly so as, as time goes on, day by day, week by week. And so this series that we're going through is based on something that the Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada, the EMCC, the denomination that we're part of, has put together, which is really a, a simple framework for discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus. We could say, you know, well, just read the Bible and you'll find out. But that's somewhat overwhelming. And so the hope of this series is that we're drawing together these dominant themes from Jesus' life and from his followers' lives in order to make it simpler and clearer. 
So we get some clarity on this. And so each week we'll be looking at one part of the life of Jesus and his followers, which are based on these important aspects that we see in Scripture, the emphases that we see in Scripture. And we'll be drawing these together to encompass all the different aspects of what it means, practically speaking, to follow Jesus. Rather than just saying the phrase, you know, following Jesus, without anything specific in mind. This brings something tangible, something practical, some clarity to that. And so we have this caption for the series. Living like Jesus, for Jesus, and in the power and the spirit of Jesus. Which really captures the essence of the way of Jesus. You know, living like Jesus, following his example that he has set forth. For Jesus, for the his glory as Lord of our lives, in the power and the spirit of Jesus, not in our own strength, not as something from within ourselves, you know, pull up your bootstraps and just get on with it, but no, in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And so to help us on this journey over the next couple of months that we're going to be taking, I have two suggestions from the outset. The first is that following Jesus is never meant to be something that you do on your own. God created us for relationship and for community, and that's true of our walk with Jesus as well. So I encourage you to meet with someone over this time, whether it's an individual, a friend, or whether you join a community group, a small group, and meet and work through these things that we're going to be going through. Take the time to work through this in relationship with others, learning from one another, because it's only possible to go so far on your own. Second is that it's easy for us to come on a Sunday, check in for 30 minutes, and then check out for the rest of the week. Because life is incredibly busy. And the information that we are bombarded with day in, day out, is unprecedented. The time and the place that we live in, we receive so much information bombarding us. And so my encouragement is for the next two months to actively, intentionally sit, rest in this series. And by sit, I mean trying to smooth down those distractions as best you can and build this series into your daily routine. So, you do, so we don't just check in on Sundays and naturally it gets left by the wayside. And so to help you with this, this daily kind of rhythms, then um, as you've just received, we've printed and made, designed these booklets for you to use. So I highly encourage you to use these. And really what's in these is, there's a, you can look through it in your, your own time, but there's a few things. And so there's the seven markers. These are the seven things that we're going to be going through, one each week for the next two months. And we'll look at them a bit later. Or there's some anchors, some passages of scripture for you to reflect on it and memorize. And so, you know, we put some time and energy and effort into making these because we really think that they will be helpful. So I encourage you to spend this afternoon getting to know it, read through it and, and reflect on it, and decide how you're going to use this each day for the next couple of months. So before we go any further, let's stand and read scripture. We stand in recognition that this is God's word. This is God speaking to us through here. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. And this is really the passage that captures the essence 
of this journey we're going to be taking over the next couple of months, the idea of walking in the way of Jesus. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. We'll pause there for a second. It's a strange word that many of you probably don't know what it means, but it, it's this idea of propitiation, the, the means by which God's righteous anger and wrath against us because of our sin was taken by Jesus. He, he covered that over. He suffered in our place. He took our sin, and he took the punishment for our sins. That's what it means. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides or lives or remains in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Go ahead and take a seat. So what we see in this passage is John really begins by reminding us, reminding us of why he's writing, why he's writing this letter that we're reading. And then he also tells us and reminds us of the position that we have in Christ. And so verses 1 to 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. His aim of writing this is so that we will live lives pleasing to God. But, he reminds us, if we do, then we know that Jesus has taken our sin away. That he advocates on our behalf. He goes before us to the Father and advocates for us. He's the one that's taken away our sins. And everything else that we then see flows from this. This is John's starting point. This is the foundation for what he's saying. And then everything else flows from that. There's an, a reason why he's phrased it this, this way. So then we see a few different ways or angles or perspectives of looking at our relationship with Jesus. John describes a few different ways. And the aspects that make up that relationship. Simply, he's answering the question, how do we know that we're a follower of Jesus? How do you know that you're a follower of Jesus? And so first, starting in verse 3, it talks about knowing him, knowing Jesus. And by this, we know that we have come to know him, for we keep his commandments. This isn't just a, a theoretical, a intellectual knowledge. It doesn't mean that we know Jesus in the same way that I know the queen. I don't know the queen personally although I do come from England, and some people get confused about that. I know about the queen. I don't know the queen. And unfortunately for me, that's a, that's a key fundamental difference. No, instead, John is writing here about a relational knowledge. It's that we know Jesus the same way that we know our closest friends and our family, even closer. Let me ask you, who are you closest to in the world right now? 
Think about them for a second. And think about the type of relationship that you have with them. It's that kind of relationship that's being described here. You know about them. You know their likes and their dislikes, their interests. But you also know them in a deeper sense as well. You feel their pain and their joy. It's not just an intellectual knowledge. It's a relational knowledge. That's why John can write, how do we know that we know Jesus if we obey his commands? That doesn't sound very relational on the face of it. But actually, when we realize who Jesus is and our relationship to him, that he is our Savior, our Lord, God himself, and that he is fully deserving of our full obedience, we can see why this would be the marker of someone that knows him. Although with a friend, obedience wouldn't be the marker of our relationship with them. Jesus is not just our friend. He is so much more than that. But also notice how it's phrased in verse 1, or sorry, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, we know him if we keep his commandments. I think that's really important, because what it says is, we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. John's just reminded us of our position in Jesus, our forgiveness, that he's our advocate. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. So we don't know Jesus because we obey his commands. No, instead, obeying his commands is, is evidence that we already know him, that he has saved us, by grace, through faith. That order is incredibly important because it's the difference between believing that we have saved ourselves or or that Jesus has saved us. The evidence of someone who has been saved by Jesus, someone that has faith in him, is obedience to his commands. We know that we have come to know if we obey his commands. But it doesn't mean perfection. We already know this because at the start of the passage we just read, John says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And in the last chapter, in chapter 1, if you read it, John also says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We will never be entirely without sin, this side of eternity. Although sin and death have been defeated on the cross and the war has been won, still in this lifetime we'll face temptations and failures. But, as Karen Jobes, a biblical scholar, says, the reality of our sin does not give us a license to indulge in it. Though we won't be perfectly Christ-like without sin in this lifetime, God will help us to become increasingly so day by day, week by week, and year by year. 
and with the result, coming to verse 5, that whoever keeps his word, his commands, in him truly, the love of God is perfected. The, the idea here, the, the love of God being perfected, it's the, the love that God has for us and its aim, which is to produce love inside us for others, is made apparent. It's not completed, it's not completely fulfilled, but it's, it's made complete. I, uh, I made a little diagram because this, this can get a little bit confusing. This is the first time I've made a circuit diagram in about 10 years since I was in high school. And so hopefully this will be somewhat helpful. And I think it will come on the screen in a moment. There we go. And so this is, hopefully this will be more simple. I'll explain. <laughs> and so essentially what this passage is getting at with the whole idea of the love of God being perfected in us isn't that we are then made perfect because we know already that that's not going to happen this side of eternity. Instead, it's that the love that God has for us, his love for us, then when it has the effect in us that we then love others, then it's complete. It's not finalized, as in checked off, as in, okay, forget that, it's done. No, it's like a circuit being complete. The love that God has for us. And in our lives, this love then transposed into love for others. That, that's the idea that John is getting at. So John talks about knowing Jesus and what that means, but then he goes on to phrase it slightly differently. So looking at verses 5 to 6. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Notice that he continues this relational language living or abiding or remaining in him, in Jesus. It reminds us of when Paul, in his letters, uses this phrase again and again, which is in Christ. He talks about those who follow Jesus being in Christ, not alongside or under, but united with this unique relationship, united with Christ. But then we come to the climax of the passage for us for this morning in verse 6. This is the verse that really summarizes, captures the essence of the way of Jesus, what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of months. And we don't have a theme song for this series, although that would have been quite fun. But this is our theme verse. This is our theme verse. And so if you memorize one verse, go for this. In verse 6, whoever says he abides or lives in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. My translation says ought to, but maybe yours says should, or, or even must. It's this idea of a necessary obligation. Because of what Jesus has done for us, then we're obligated to walk in the way that he walked. It's not just take it or leave it. No, it's necessary. So what exactly is it that's necessary? It's that we walk in the same way that Jesus walked, that we live the same way that he lived. Simply put, whoever lives in Jesus 
follows in his footsteps. Jesus is our role model, our example, who we look to for how to live. When we make all of the decisions and choices that we have to make throughout the days and weeks, he is who we look to for answers. His life is the role model, the example. You know the saying we have, if, if someone takes the same career that their dad does, then we say, ah, you know, I, I see that he's following in his father's footsteps. May we be people whom others can say, ah, I see that they're following in their Savior's footsteps. They're living the same life that he lived. They're living in the same way that he lived. In Acts chapter 11, we read a story about Barnabas and Paul. I really like Barnabas. If you haven't read much about him, I encourage you, look at Acts, read about Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement, son of exhortation. And so we have Barnabas and Paul, two of the early church leaders, and they travel to this city called Antioch. And while they're there, then they, it says that they teach and they share the gospel for a year. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. But then Luke includes this, this little sentence that's easy to kind of miss, skip over, which says, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. At the beginning of the, the booklet you just received, it says at the very start, the term Christianity has picked up a lot of baggage over the years. But to us, being a Christian simply means following Jesus, which is true. But also, bless you, which is true. But also the word Christian is quite beautiful, that word, because it reminds us of its origin in Acts chapter 11, where those who followed Jesus lived in such a remarkable way that others began to call them by the name that defined their lives. Christians, Christians, the ones who follow Christ, the ones whose lives are centered around Jesus Christ. Jesus was the distinctive marker of their lives. What they talked about, what they thought about, what they did, Jesus was the distinctive aspect. And everyone noticed Outsiders noticed, and they gave them this nickname. It was outsiders that first gave the name Christians. Are we living in that kind of a way? Am I living in that kind of a way? What kind of a nickname would the community that we live in give us, give Hillside? If they had to choose a nickname, what would come to mind for them? And it's this that's at the heart of this series, that we might live in a way that is distinctively Jesus-centered, that we would be known as people who live as he lived, who follow in his footsteps. 
And that's why over the next couple of months, each week we're going to be going through one of seven markers of a follower of Jesus. And each is designed to describe part of Jesus' life that we see in scriptures, which is then a part of his disciples' lives. And these markers are made up of two parts. And so we have a a caption which shows what part of Jesus' life we're talking about. And then a statement for those who follow Jesus to read and reflect on. And so to have a look at these and to go through them quickly, as you can read about in, in your booklet, then these seven statements begin with, His life, I have begun following Jesus and am depending on the Spirit of Jesus in my journey. That's what we're going to be looking at next week. His mission, I am being sent by Jesus to bless others and invite them to follow him. His character, I am becoming like Jesus in my attitudes, behaviors, and character. His love, I am learning to love God and love others. His teachings, I am learning the teachings of Jesus. His disciples, notice the R in there. It's not a typo. It's meant to say disciples, not disciples. His disciples, I am helping someone and someone is helping me to be a reproducing follower of Jesus. And his community, I'm participating in a community of followers of Jesus on mission to the world. And so this is our outline, really, for the next two months. What we're going to be exploring together week by week. And the idea is that these can be used over our whole lives for anyone and everyone who is a follower of Jesus. So they're phrased in an ongoing way. I am learning the teachings of Jesus. It's not that I have learned or I will learn, but I am learning the teachings of Jesus whether we just came to faith or or whether we've been following Jesus for decades, we should be able to say these together. So here's my invitation for the next two months, that we use this as a time for reorientation. It's so easy for the, the language of following Jesus to become dry and meaningless, especially after we've just been saying it and hearing it again and again for years on end. I know that that's true of me, at least. This is an opportunity to think about more specifically, to make more tangible, to bring some clarity to what it actually means to live how Jesus lived, to walk in the way that he walked. So take some time to slow down, to, to think this week. Become familiar with these seven markers that we're going to be going through. Read, reflect on, and pray the passage that we've been looking at this morning from 1 John. And think about where you want to be in your relationship with Jesus two months from now as we finish the series. As we finish, there's one more aspect that I want us to pick up on, which I think is a good place to end on. And it's found in another of John's writings. It's in his gospel, his biography about Jesus. So today we've looked at walking in the way of Jesus, walking as he walked, living as he lived, doing what he did. But there's also another profound element to this. And it's not just that we 
follow the way that Jesus has laid out, that he's given us an example and we're to follow that example, which is true. But there's another aspect, which is that actually Jesus is the way. Jesus is himself the way. In John 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. Through his sacrifice, his death on the cross, taking our sins on himself so that we might be forgiven, Jesus is the way. It's not just that we follow his way throughout our whole lives so that one day we might reach him. No, we start with faith and trust in him and carry on in faith in him because he himself is the way that we travel. In Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from eternal death. Saved from our sins. Jesus is the example and the destination, but also the road. We walk in the way that he walked. This is our example. We walk towards him, seeking to know him more as our destination, to seek to grow closer to him. But we also walk by faith in him. It's his sacrifice that's the foundation for all of this. It's the heart of the message about Jesus. And it's what makes it possible for us to walk in this way. And that's why we have the caption, living like Jesus, for Jesus, and in the power of the Spirit of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you, Jesus, are the way, the truth, and the life. We think about so many other religions which say you must do this and you must achieve this in order to reach salvation, but we know that we can't attain forgiveness of ourselves, Lord. We know what we've done. And so we thank you that you have made the way, that you are the way, Jesus, that your sacrifice has made the way for us to be forgiven. We thank you for that. We thank you for the life that you lived, that you did leave us an example for how to live in a way that pleases you, that you show us a better way to live. And so we ask that over the next two months, you would give us a deeper insight into what this means. You would help reshape our priorities. You would help us to be able to evaluate how we are walking in your ways. If this language of following you has become abstract or dry or meaningless to us, please grow it, sprout it again. Make it fresh for us, Lord. Hmm. So we thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.